Welcome into the House of L podcast. I am your host, Lawrence Holmes, and I am excited about this week's episode. I say that every week, right? It's one of my verbal crutches, but it's the truth. I'm really excited about this episode. In fact, I'm not going to waste a lot of time getting to it because it went on a lot longer than both I and Kelly Kroll expected it to go on. It's one of those things where we were just talking and we just kept recording and we went to a lot of different directions. I want to thank our, our sponsor, Melly Cafe, three locations for Melly Cafe. Check out Jackson and Halstead in Greektown. You can go to Congress in Dearborn right by the DePaul Center and the University Center, which is great. Or Grand and Wells, that one you can go check out as well. So there's a lot that you can do. And you should check out what they do on social if you're saying, okay, well, obviously, Lawrence, they're your advertiser. You're going to say nice things about them. You're right. But go check it out for yourself. Go to Melly Cafe Chicago on Instagram. And just look and tell me that you don't like it. Tell me that it's not interesting. Tell me that you're not thinking about going there and having a delicious meal. For being on the show today, Kelly Kroll is going to get a $50 gift card to Melly Cafe, which I conveniently forgot when she came in to record the podcast. So I apologize to Kelly. She will get it soon, though. I promise you that. I I really like Kelly. Like, since she's come to town, like, we have mutual friends in the business. I mean, obviously, we've become friends. But we have, we have a mutual friendship with Laura Britt, who I did a show with. And they actually remind me a lot of each other, which is probably why I, I get along so well with Kelly. Like, they're both... Very good people, and I enjoy being around them both. The conversation with Kelly went in a lot of different directions because she's very giving when it comes to talking about her life or talking about her career. And I wanted to talk to her because she's in the middle of this transition where we know Kelly here in Chicago is the person that covers the Cubs for NBC Sports Chicago. Well, now she's taking on a whole new role. And that role is she covers the Bulls as well. And that happened fairly quickly after the Cubs season ended. So I, I definitely wanted to get her opinion on that and find out how she's managing to do it. What I think you'll find interesting is, is some of the stuff that, that we share about her upbringing, the fact that she is a ringer. It'll all be explained when you listen. But if you like Kelly Kroll, I think you'll walk away from this loving Kelly Kroll. And if you don't like Kelly Kroll, what the hell is wrong with you? But if you don't like her after this, you're going to love her. Because that's the type of person that she is, and she emanates that type of energy. So we talk about a lot of things. We talk about faith. We talk about the business, the struggle. And she apparently heard... Adam Hogue talking about what it's like to be broke at the beginning of your career. And she wanted to share some stories about that, too. And she made an excellent point on why it's a little bit more difficult for women in our business to be broke versus men. Have fun listening to this. I had fun recording it. Kelly Kroll. So where shall we start? <laughs> that is the million dollar question. Here we've been talking for 30 minutes and now... Where do we start? Well, how about this? Let's let's start with, have you gotten a break yet? 
Have you have you gotten some time well, it off? It depends. If people call 72 hours, those three days of break, then yes, I've gotten to recharge and rejuvenate over a few days at home with the, the parents. I uh, grew up in north of Indianapolis, and so that is where my family still resides, my grandparents. And so when I want to get out of the city and go back to the farm life and just be in the middle of nowhere where you don't hear trains and buses and traffic and horns and all that, um, I go back to see my parents. And so I did that for three days and just chillaxed. This transition that you're being asked to 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 do is, is difficult, where you the baseball season, and I've talked with reporters mm-hmm. about this, that season is a grind because you're basically going from February until November. Yeah, and it is. And now you've got to turn that right around, mm-hmm. leave the Cubs beat behind, and now cover the Bulls. So when how, how was this pitched to you as an opportunity for career growth? Sure. Well, first of all, you never put a beat down, right, either? I mean – There may be a transition to where more of my focus is now on the Bulls, but with this offseason that the Cubs are going through, I'm clearly all plugged in. I mean, I, I, you know, I want to know what's going on. I need to know what's going on. There are people that follow me on certain social media outlets that expect to hear the news. So I'm certainly still completely one eye on all that's going on with the Cubs while I start to transition into the Bulls, which I will say six, seven years ago now, that is where my career started was in the NBA with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And that is truthfully, I mean, my roots growing up in Indiana. I played basketball through high school, um, wasn't quite as good at that as I was at tennis. So that ended up being the direction I went in college. But I mean, it was my first love. It's my my it runs deep. I'll, I'll put it that way. So I, the second, the thought was, Hey, do you think you would be able to cover the bulls as well? I didn't think about it twice. Absolutely. I'm all in. Just tell me, you know, when you want me to start and I'll be there. So I took a couple days after what was an abrupt end to the Cubs season. I don't think anybody was ready or, or expecting to see the Cubs fizzle out like that. Um, So I took a couple days just to kind of wrap my mind around that, digest that, and then turn my attention to the Bulls, which is a team that uh, luckily for me is that I feel like fans are starting to learn about these players as well. I mean, this is a young group that is growing and developing, and I'm starting to learn about them, I think, along with the fans. So that kind of helps me because with the Cubs, I've been so entrenched with that group for five years now. I, I certainly lean on my rapport and the relationships I have built with those players. And I realize now starting this job that it's going to challenge me in a whole nother way in an awesome way where I have to now start to get to know guys again, start to gain that trust from young players who, you know, they're still figuring out how this whole media thing works. And what do you say? What do you not say? Especially with uh, now social media being what, what it is. And I, I'm so excited to do it with this group of young players. And of course the staff that I have over at NBC sports, Chicago between Mark Chanowski, um, Kendall Gill and, and Will Purdue. And um, you know, uh, there's a guy behind the scenes bulldog that is, is great. And then Neil Funk and Stacy King. I, I, I can lean on all those guys. Chuck Schworsky's already re- reached out. Obviously everyone here that listens to you knows Chuck really well. And, and they've all been tremendous and, 
sort of asking me, you know, just let us know how we can help along the way. And so I'm thrilled. All you can do is jump in. Both feet start cramming like it's a midterm in college again and uh, start going up and introducing yourself to players them know you know hey I've done the NBA thing before I know ball but I want to know you I want to know you as a player I want to know what you're working on and when I get in games that's what my reports will be what is it that you're you're working on within your own game who's been helping you with that and those are the best stories to then pass along I think that muscle memory has it come back yet <laughs> that from from your days of covering the thunder a little bit it is a whole that's another side of this that it didn't really kick in until the other day you wake up early in the morning and you go to practices or you go to shoot around and then you come back later that night for the game. Baseball's not like that. There's nope. nothing in the morning necessarily, unless it's a day game, which the Cubs have plenty of, but it's, yeah, it's a whole new training of getting up in the morning, getting out to practice and, and then coming back and maybe getting ready for your game later in between. And so, yeah, I'm trying to adjust to going to bed a little bit earlier mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> And getting myself up earlier for the workouts before I go. Um, but it is, it is it's kind of like riding a bike, I guess, and, and you get back into it. And I will say it, it did dawn on me as I was leaving my house for one of the first preseason games the other night. I go, it's the first time I've left my apartment and haven't really thought about grabbing an extra blanket, maybe an extra coat, should probably get the umbrella. And who knows, you know, what else you might need when you're out at Wrigley and there's no roof and the timing of the game could go on forever. Now I get to just walk into the United Center and know that I'll be, it's a two-hour game. It's got a roof and a clock. How about that? Isn't that great? That is something else. It's It's been a while. It's wonderful. (laughs) What do you remember most fondly about your time covering the Thunder? Well, it was an exciting team to watch night in and night out. So the years I was with the Thunder, I was covering the years that Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden were all together. They also had guys who came in like Serge Ibaka, Kendrick Perkins, uh, Nick Collison. Um, I'm trying to think of who other names were that were kind of built around, but those were your three superstars, right? And they were all before they became superstars, really. They were babies. Yeah. Now, yeah, I mean, if only Sam Presti had been able to keep those three together, I can't imagine. But as people have watched the NBA and seen, you know, Russell Westbrook certainly has an edge to him. Kevin Durant wanted a name for himself somewhere else, wanted to build things differently. And so that's a tough thing when you're a general manager is trying to figure out which personalities are going to be able to gel together. And those three weren't going to be able to make it happen. And I do remember Kendrick Perkins looking at me one night later after a game, kind of knowing and seeing the writing on the wall with James Harden. Um, He said, one day these, these three guys will look back and they'll regret that they couldn't make this work because having been in Boston and him witnessing, you know, Kevin Garnett and that trio, Mm. he was like, they're going to wish they could have figured it out. But for me, um, I remember those guys getting to know them. I mean, it's all—it's the same for me in every sport. Getting to know these guys beyond the players that they are on the court, the people that they are, and they have fascinating stories. I mean, James Harden, if he ever writes a book about his childhood, it will tear you apart. Some of the things that he went through, um, which, you know, I wish I could share, but I don't feel like that's probably the right place for me to do it. But if he ever shares his childhood, same with Russell Westbrook. And then Kevin Durant, I think a story people always appreciate with Kevin is um, he was 
I don't know how often he practices now, but he was very into his faith when he was in Oklahoma City. And he's a horrible flyer. He hates flying, which, as you can imagine, as an athlete who's going from city to city as often as he did and does, that's a, that's a big hurdle. So in Oklahoma City, too, there's windy, windy weather. Of course, they have their tornado season often. And for Kevin, every time we would come into the city or leave the city, the turbulence was really bad. And I'll never forget him coming back to use the restroom and leaving. And I sat at the back of the plane with the rest of the media and we were getting really bad turbulence, and he just knelt down. Keep in mind, the seven-foot lanky frame kneels down, <laughs> grabs my hand, and says, Kelly, we got to pray. We got to pray. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you got it, Kev. Whatever you want. Whatever you need. You know, I mean, in that moment, I saw this child still. I mean, behind those eyes, behind this human being that's so talented and, you know, is going to later turn into what he is now and the superstar. But in that moment, he was deathly afraid of what was going on on that flight. Mm. And so I don't know anymore if Kevin, again, this has been seven years now, Lawrence. I can't believe it's been that long, but he's probably come a long way when it comes to flying. And maybe now he takes a little bit of, you know, something before he hits the flight to calm his nerves. But yeah, I will never forget that night. And then just, um, just learning about those guys as people, I, I really felt spoiled watching that basketball night in and night out because they were as entertaining as it gets. So walk me through the 72 hours that you were off between <laughs> beats. Because I do want to talk to you about the Cubs, but I am curious. You have this new gig, so you're sitting there. I would imagine it was hard to quiet your mind because you're thinking about all the new things that you needed to do. Yeah. So what was your quote-unquote vacation like? Like what did you do to wind down and to, to get yourself ready for this new challenge? Yeah, I don't, now that you put it that way, I have to like re-rack my brain and think about how I, how that actually all went down. So <clears throat> after the wild card game, the very next day, Theo Epstein held his uh, end of the year meeting where he talks to us about the entire season. And first of all, I remember waking up that morning and being like, holy cow, I don't have a game to cover tonight. And I Bet it, that is probably how every player felt and probably most of the media members who cover that team day in and day out because you just get into this. I mean, beyond the grind you're talking about when you hit the playoffs and keep in mind that team had played 42 games and 43 nights up to that point. We are already in like the Groundhog Day feel of postseason at that point. Like I was already like picking out outfits for each day ahead of time so I didn't have to think about it the next day because you wake up in the morning and your brain's already going about things that you're planning to ask guys and, and get ready for your reports. And so, yeah, waking up that morning and being like, man, I wonder... I wonder when Theo's going to talk. And I thought nobody really knew at that point. They don't send that out until later in the afternoon. I thought it was going to be at like noon and then it wasn't until four. And I thought that that was kind of strange. Um, but once I figured out he'd done exit interviews with every single player. Um, and then as all of you know, who probably listened to it on the score with you guys is that um, he was very candid, very transparent, very real. And that was eye opening to hear him. And I, I felt like, 
we got a lot of what was getting ready to happen in this offseason, which is why I think it's going to be such an interesting winter, and I certainly won't not be plugged into that. That's wait, wait, what I'm wait. Saying. But here's the thing. You're going back into the Cubs. I want to hear about you. I want to hear about it. So, so you right. get okay. through this. Okay, so I get through Theo. Your brain is just like going 100 miles an hour right now. Okay, so I get through Theo <laughs> and that. And I come home to find out that they want me to be at Bulls the next day because there's an opportunity to meet the players, some of the front office. They think that that's something I should do. So I think that was Thursday. So I go to Bulls and I meet all these people. And then it was like, okay, you get Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. We need you back here Monday. So I, after Bulls practice, got in my car and I headed back to Indiana to my family's place. And I just... Hung out. I know. I remember that night. Um, we met at Logan's Roadhouse. That's like a favorite of my parents and I. Um, and Why is it a favorite? Oh, I just really like their grilled chicken salad, and they have some really great um, <laughs> sweet potato fries. <laughs> my dad likes their steak. Anyway, it's a very like low end steak. Anyhow. But it's fun. So anyway, we go there, run into an old friend from high school, that kind of thing. And then um, the next day I woke up and I will say this, and maybe this is my way of of kind of decompressing. I went out and I got what I thought was probably the best workout in that I've had in months. And I, I ran for like four or five miles. And then my dad and I played three sets of doubles with friends of his that he's in a league with that I just hop in. And so I did get to play tennis every day I was home. And that to me, I think probably releases some energy, some built up um, anxieties of, of a transition. And, um, and then on the very last day I was there, I got to go to my grandparents. My mom's mom and dad are both in their mid to late eighties. And family is so important to me, Lawrence. I, I just, I can't stress it enough. And in our jobs, I think you can get so wrapped up with your day-to-day assignments that, um, you know, you maybe don't keep in touch with them. But I have a very forgiving, very patient family who's put up with this for close to 13 years now. And I know that they're proud of me. I know that they, um, they're they my biggest supporters. They root me on. And so I think they understand when they don't hear from me for three or four days. And then I call them and say, oh, hey, I'm doing the Bulls this season, too. They're like, oh. okay, then. Well, we will just print off that schedule for us, Kellyanne. That's what my mom will say. Just print off the schedule for us. I'll put it up on the refrigerator. And so that that's their cue to then be able to tune into all the games where they can continue to watch me, right? I mean, I think that's how they feel like they see me every day still through that. And I'm lucky. My grandparents, everybody north of Indianapolis of family members can actually get our NBC Sports Chicago station. Oh, that's so, great. Right? It is kind of nice. So they get to see you, and now they're going to get they to do. see you inside. They do get it, to see me not freezing my tail off not, anymore. Not freezing, or, not sweating. Uh-huh. They, they get to actually see you just like normal inside so i know that you played tennis at missouri and i know that it's important to you i didn't know that you still played i do i don't talk about it a lot because i am nowhere near the level that i once was and it can be frustrating i think when you play at a level that you know you'll never get back to ever again no matter how many hours I try to put in now, I'm never going to hit that forehand or that backhand quite as sharp as I was when I was training. Yeah. Seven, eight hours a day kind of thing. Right. When it was, when it was my life. So, um, but I do, I enjoy it when I get out there. I like playing with my dad because he's seen me at my best. He's seen me at my worst. Um, and he's patiently, and I will say this, what is incredible. My dad will turn 71 in about 
what do we got? Three days. My dad will turn 71 and he still gets on the court and hits with me. And I think that that is one of the coolest things that I get to share with my father is that he still has the health and the ability to go out on the tennis court. And a lot of times we like to play doubles together and I, I cherish those moments. And my dad is a very sarcastic, uh, dry humor type of guy. So he's the kind of guy that when I mess up can look right at me and be like, well, here I am carrying the load still at 70 years old. Some things never change. (laughs) So like, he's the only one that can give me that kind of crap. I think anyone else I would feel embarrassed, right? Like, oh, I'm so sorry. But my dad, I can just be like, shut up, dad. I'll get the next point, you know. So did, did did he already love tennis or did you love tennis and then he began to love tennis? So my dad is an incredible athlete. My dad, anything he picks up, he makes look, look easy. His sister, my aunt once told me that. And I was like, you're so right. Everything. So my dad was a professional bowler at one point. He in college, like I said, he's 70. So go back. 50 years now in college, you could play multiple sports, right? He went to Ball State, which is in Muncie, Indiana, and um, he played tennis there, um, and he also played basketball, and then he was bowling on the side already because that's also before, you know, you could be a professional athlete making money, and it didn't, I mean, that was before the NCAA was around probably. So anyhow, my dad, yeah, played collegiately basketball and tennis. Um, He's always been you know, great at both. And so I think that was part of like, you know, easily the reason I got into sports was because my dad was such a tremendous athlete. He got us both me and my brother. I have a younger brother who was great at everything as well. Um, he got us into sports early. I loved it. I like my dad. I think I was, I just gravitated to it. I, I was competitive by nature. Um, I love everything that sports brings and the, and the emotion it brings out of me. And so, yeah, I, I think, you know, he got me into tennis, but he also got me into basketball and everything else I played, which was a lot of different sports at the time. And my mom tried to make me be as girly as possible. And she put me into ballet and, you know, gymnastics and the girly sports, if you will. Um, and at the time, I can remember my basketball girlfriends, I played AAU and all this stuff would just destroy me for tights and leotards and point shoes. And I will say, though, that to this day, I'm so glad I danced through high school because I, I truly believe the coordination, the strength, the flexibility, all of that translates into any and every sport you can play as well. And the determination, for those that don't know, ballet is so hard, so hard. And um, I think it taught me a whole nother side of embracing um, uh, being polished and poised and pulling back your shoulders and keeping your head up high and, and things that you can carry over into sports as well. And so I was glad that my mom pushed that side while my dad was um, just making sure I was, I was bouncing a basketball every second I could. So when did you know that it would be tennis and not basketball? Probably my junior year of high school. I, uh, third concussion and my parents weren't real thrilled about it, kind of wanted me out of there. I, I, I like to say if I could compare myself to a player, which is totally this is I'm the, we are talking apples and oranges clearly because I was never at this level. But I was sort of like Russell Westbrook in his first year where he was never under control ever. But you could see all the talent was there. That was me as a point guard. I was always kind of out of control, a little bit out of control, always wanted to be crashing the boards with the bigs. 
And it's somebody who was 5'6 and 115 pounds. It was just not a smart thing to do. It just wasn't. Um, But I, so I was undercut multiple times, offensive boards kind of thing, and um, came down on my head one too many times. So for all of you that wonder when I lose my place in a live shot, now you know. Sometimes it just flutters away. What's having a concussion like? Well, the first two were very minor, and this is a mild concussions, and this was back in the day, Lawrence. I mean, I'm old enough that, like, we didn't know a lot about concussions when I was in middle school and high school, you know? I mean, we, we didn't treat them like we do now, even even then. They were you say stuff like, you got your bell rung, you're seeing stars. Yes. Uh, ice it, take ibuprofen, make sure somebody... Is, with, is you. with you and wakes you up from time to time kind of thing. But the last one I got was scary only because it was one of those situations. I didn't know it until a week or two later. Um, it was like all of a sudden I snapped too. And someone asked me about last week's exam and I couldn't remember last week's exam. I couldn't remember taking it. I couldn't remember going to school, what I'd had for lunch the last couple of days. I couldn't remember the last five days at all. Um, and that was scary to me because, I mean, they explained it to me and the doctor gave me an explanation behind it. But essentially, I just my brain, well, I was in a walking coma in a way. I, I don't again, I don't know that those are the right words from a doctor's perspective, but I I just lost a week of time. And and that's when I think my parents looked at me and said, all right, maybe the non-contact sports the way to go. <laughs> so beyond that basketball, just sort of figuring out that I was too small, um, probably wasn't going to be able to get as a, a scholarship at the level that I was getting offers for from tennis. And so the writing was just pretty much on the wall for me. And my mom liked me better in a skirt than <laughs> big baggy <laughs> shorts. But what did you like better? I like the skirt too. I'm not going to lie. You can wear bows and put your hair in a ponytail and wear bows. And, and I liked being girly. I've always been a girly girl. Um, even though the athlete in me, I kept thinking I wasn't supposed to look like that or you weren't supposed to look like that, but I see, was. see there's, there's a part of me that envisions Kelly crawl, the, the high school and college athlete. Like I, in my mind, it's you kind of walking across campus like I see you now, like you just kind of walking across campus, doing your thing. You got your books. You're on your way to class. And then I feel like when it's practice time, the hair goes back into a ponytail. A scowl comes over your face. <laughs> and Someone is about to get done up. That's that's the way that it feels like like the makeup is coming off <laughs> and you are about to go do work. Is yes. that a fair representation? Uh, yeah, that's a yeah, that's a pretty fair representation. I I certainly am a very bubbly chipper. I I like to think that I'm a kind, very kind-hearted person. So when I was walking across campus, I I knew quite a few people being in a sorority, being that I was on the tennis team, I was very involved with c- campus activities. I felt like I was always the one smiling and saying hello to everybody and um I loved life at Mizzou. I really did. It was no doubt the cliche best four years of my life, but yeah, when I got when I got to practice, uh, the hair did go back in a ponytail, and it was it was time to earn earn my spot. And um, being that I was the at the time only one of two Americans on the team, too, um, that's something about collegiate tennis and other, as many know, other collegiate sports. I think golf is very prevalent in this as well. Um, you have a lot of international students that are that are your athletes, and so I felt like there was part of me that had to um, also prove that. 
you know, Americans can hang. I mean, don't get me wrong. My European teammates beat the crap out of me and they made me so much better every day. Um, they, they learn things over there that you, you know, we train over here. I will say Americans are much better doubles players over here. We're, we're taught how to play doubles in all the right ways in the formations over there. Not so much, but what they learn individually, I think, um, can sometimes be even at a higher level than what we train over here. Um, and so, yeah, there were parts of me that felt like I had to, you know, USA on my chest yeah, to, represent. Had to, to represent right so yeah but um but it, it's a demanding schedule for anybody I know you've had other athletes on your your podcast before Lawrence um you know I'd wake up at I, I'd have practice at 6 a.m or running essentially running and lifting was at 6 a.m so I was up at 5 30 running and lifting was at 6 a.m my first class was always 8 a.m um, cause that's basically by the time I could shower and get to class, I'd go 8am to noon with usually four straight classes at noon. I'd come back, grab something to eat. I would take what I've called a power nap for 25 minutes. I'd wake up and I'd be back at practice by two 30 and we'd go from like, you know, three till six ish. And then oftentimes we'd have like what they called mental, like whether it be yoga or we talked to a mental kind of strength coach is what they called it. Um, already psychology was part of part of our uh, program there, which I think is so huge. I love that that's part of what the Cubs have done for so long. That's why I really understand the importance behind that. And Ken was a dear friend of, of mine. So I miss him uh, every day and did towards the end of the season. Um, and so anyway, yeah. And I'd maybe get home around nine ish and start my homework. And by like 10 or 11, I was crashing because I had to be back up in five or six hours. So I have no idea how you do that when you're 19, 20, and 21, but it is so much easier to survive on four hours, five hours of sleep when you're that age than now. Now I can't do it. I can't do it. How, like how much do to. you need? Like how much, if, we're, <laughs> if I'm going to get maximum Kelly, how much sleep do you need? I mean, maximum Kelly is eight hours, but that rarely happens, right? I mean, I think all of us are best probably get eight hours of sleep at least. I'm, I, I'm, I think I'm okay around seven. Like I, I get, I'm at this point now where I just, I, it's hard for me to stay in bed. Yeah, it, it, I can. I'm one of those people that I can get up, I can go go to the couch and fall asleep again. But for some reason, I can't stay in bed. Mm -hmm. It's difficult. Yeah. I think there's probably something to our industry where there's this like productivity. You always got to feel like you got to be doing something or watching something or tuned in to something uh, or else you're, it's like you're falling behind again. I think that's our country in general and we, the work, work, work model. And so I'm with you there though. And, uh, I, I've tried to be better about I also think there's something to getting your workout in every day. Whatever it is, get like your 30 minutes of, of something that's for you um, so that you feel like you've done something besides just start to sit down and, and cram for whatever your next assignment is. If that's watching a game or getting ready for a show or any of that. When did you know that you wanted to make sports your life? I think I knew from the second... I became an athlete. Um, you know, I was playing tennis. At, they, they called it tot tennis. At three years old, I had a racket in my hand. Um, you know, and then my dad had a bowling ball in, our, in my brother and I's hands when we were... Well, my brother couldn't even walk yet. He was crawling and pushing a bowling ball down the lane. So my dad now owns a bowling alley. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. So former <laughs> professional bowler who now owns a bowling alley. See, my mind's going everywhere. Um, my grandparents built it um, in the 50s. 
And it's in a small town in Indiana, very small bowling alley, only 12 lanes. Super cute, though. Super. Um, it, the neighborhood still supports it. Basically, one of those old time where all the all the people within the community still come and um, are in leagues every week. So now it's just my dad's hangout more than anything. I tell him it's not a job. It's his social life. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, we were raised in a bowling alley, basically. Um, so so we're, so we're going to just we're going to let the people listening to the podcast know the secret. That you're a ringer. Well, we don't have to tell him. I could just say I stopped practicing, right, at some point. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good. Not going to lie, pretty good. Not as good as my brother or my dad, but <clears throat> I can hold my own. Here's what's scary about that. <laughs> what's scary about that is you're, you must be really good. Because if you were just pretty good, you would have been like, oh, yeah, I've bowled. I've bowled a little bit. The fact that you said I'm pretty good makes me terrified that if I ever go bowling with you, you're going to put up like a 220. Oh, no. I mean, that's that's one of my better scores. Right. I mean, it really is. It's not my average. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is that it's possible that you can I mean, roll a 220. If I got, yeah, if I got on a roll, if I got hot, yeah, I might. I mean, I could get over 200, but it's unlikely. I mean, if if I haven't bowled in like a year, I'll put it this way. If I haven't picked up a ball in a year and we're like, let's go do this, I'd probably throw a 160. That's probably my like, hey, haven't picked it up in a while. I can probably hit hit 160. If can, I don't get at least like 130, my dad would disown me. Really? Let's be honest. Can can you play? <laughs> I joke about this in my own because I have I have that competitive thing in me too. Can you if you're going to ask me if fun. I can play for fun, I'm going to tell you right now, no. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Because I, I struggle. Unless, okay. I'll put it this way. Unless, and this is way too much information, TMI right now, unless I've maybe had two glasses of wine and then that's your fault because you were just letting me enjoy a you know, social sparkler instead of keeping my mind okay. on the So I know hand. to pick you. And only allow one glass, only of, one wine glass of wine when we go out bowling there and we hustle people for money. Oh yeah, because they're because here's here's the here's the the whole thing. It's me in a bowling alley getting ready to bowl against. Oh, you know, my partner couldn't make it, and then Kelly, hey, what are you doing here? Oh, I just came to to hang out. Just happened to be around tonight. Well, I need a partner. Can you come and bowl with me? That sounds like a great idea. See, this is this what will be fun. This is what we're going to I'm so do. glad we're doing this. <laughs> we're Let's do it. And then you roll a 200 and they're like, what? <laughs> what is going on? I think that that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So, so anyone who's listening, Kelly is the person you want on your team if you're going out bowling, just so you know. Is there any other? Is there like ping pong in there? Oh, I can play some ping pong. I get, you know, ping pong and the tennis thing, you know, so I get a little excited sometimes with ping pong. Too big of a swing sort of thing. I try to get the full-fledged, like, forehand in and backhand. I got to shorten that up a bit. So I get a little excited with ping pong. Um, Gosh, let's see. I, uh, I, I, I rode horses back in the day, so I've got some equestrian in me. I was jumping, and that's after I started falling off a horse a couple times. Once you get to the jumps, that's no fun, you know. So I was like, "All right, we're good with this." I did ice skating to the point of of doing again 
you know, axles and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm done with this because then I started falling. I wasn't one for, you get what I'm saying? I wasn't one to not succeed in a sport. So if it didn't come like super quick or natural, I was on to the next one. All right, on I, need, next I one. need to ask you a very honest question okay. right now. And I need you to tell me the truth on this. Oh, boy, this, this is scary. Because honestly, your story, small town, Indiana, <laughs> are you superwoman? Are are you are you from Krypton? Because it seems to be that you're like. Because honestly, you kind of look like her. So I thought she was a brunette. No, no, no. I'm going to show you See? a picture of, and you're going to go, oh yeah. So I need to know the truth. Are you actually a superhero? Because basically, what you've told me in the last ten minutes is, so yeah, I played tennis and I was pretty good at that. So good, I was D one. I also can bowl. Oh, by the way, I also used to ice skate and do axles. Oh, and by the try, way, try. Yeah. Okay, so just you can come clean now and just let us know that you actually are a superhero. I would love to be in the presence of a superhero. I mean, <laughs> I might drink the Kool-Aid some days. <laughs> I might. No, I no, I might be the superwoman sports lady. I, I've tried to just play everything. Uh, because I love it. Um, but you know who I think the real superwomen are in our, at least our industry, I, are the ones who do this and our moms. They're the real superwomen. I, I, I think about that all the time. I do hope to have a family one day. But I look at women like Megan and Dion and... Uh, Dion's out there running marathons. Unbelievable. They are unbelievable women. And Have you ever hit with Megan? She's a former yeah, big-time tennis too, player, right? too. Yeah. yeah, we need to really... Megan and I need to do that. We've talked about it numerous times. we got to get out there and do it. Um, but... Yeah, no, those are the ones that I think about when I get the extra hour or two of sleep. I know that those women have been up with their kids for three hours already, sending them off to school and doing their lunches and like Dion getting her nine miles in. So um, then when I have kids and I can still tell you all this, Lawrence, then I might buy into the superwoman thing. All right, that's fair. <laughs> do How much do you think your job plays into relationships? Like, has it been a hindrance to them? Oh, wow. Now we're really going deep. Do you want to call yourself like Dr. Phil or sure. is it Dr. Love? I, or? I can be Dr. <laughs> Phil for a little bit. Um, yeah, significantly uh, for me. No doubt about it. I joke sometimes that I'm married to the job, uh, but that's because I, I feel that way. Sometimes I feel like it's the first thing I think of when I get up. It's the last thing I'm thinking of on my on my brain, on my mind when I go to sleep. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I get my prayers in before and after as well. So uh and that's really, you know, I, I, I am strong in my faith and I think and know that God has a plan for me. And right now, you know, he has given me such great opportunities and what a journey I've had in this industry that I have loved every minute of. Um, but yeah, it is hard. It's it, relationships are very challenging because as you well know, the hours that we work are strange. We work nights, we work weekends, we work holidays. And to be the best in this industry, the sacrifices are very difficult for some people to understand. And if people don't understand why you're sacrificing time with your family or with things that, that are meaningful to them, it's, it's almost impossible to make it work. So like I said before, my family 
could not be more understanding. I missed holidays for six or seven years before I finally got to have my first Christmas back at home because of the way, you know, you work yourself up in the industry. You're at the bottom of the totem pole. You're working all the holidays, like I said, all the weekends, um, making no money. And then finally, as you start to gain traction and establish yourself in the industry, then maybe some of those things come along. But yeah, it's it's intimidating too. I mean, I I, I don't have a great answer when a guy asks, well, what's it like in a clubhouse? With guys walking around with their towels on. I mean, what what do you think it's like? Exactly what you just said. But, like, to me, that's not something I think about. That's part of the job. Um, and I'm not <laughs> – I'm getting ready with my questions. My, my brain is in a certain locked-in mode at that point, just waiting for whomever to step up to their locker so we can talk to them and then turn a story and a live shot and get out of there. So – Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting dynamics, not that I want to go into my dating world too much, but it has certainly been something that has uh, caused relationships to not work more often than work. Yeah, I I talk about this with young broadcasters all the time that if you're going to do this, especially with sports, and it's probably this way with news, I I just know from the world of sports, your partner has got to be all in, all in because of exactly what you're talking about. Well, it's date night on a Friday or Saturday night. <laughs> well, guess what? I've got a game to cover or I've got a game to watch. Yeah. It, it's, it, you know, like it it's is. It's a tough sell. It really is. How can that be more important than date night or and coming so, home? Like the, the the events of ours that fall on holidays, those are the ones that are really tough for me. I mean, because, of course, everybody's holidays with their family are Dates that they look forward yep. to and, and are, are so important. And to say you can't be there for whatever reason is heartbreaking. Bears and, played and the it, Cowboys a few years much. ago and on Thanksgiving, and I flew out. Mm-hmm. Like it was the late game, so I flew out Thanksgiving morning, and my mother was like, where are you going? Yeah, and I'm like, you? I'm going to Dallas. <laughs> There's a game. Mm-hmm. I have to. That's my job. I have to go cover the game. And... It's it's also I know that it's a frustration of mine. I don't know how much this happens with you, but the idea of watching the game, like you you have to. Like you have to know yeah. you never know what question might come up or what angle you have to 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 go with when you're inside a locker room or a clubhouse. And I I don't mean to sound elitist. But we watch games differently than most people do. Mm-hmm. And and trying to explain it is really difficult. But it's not like you're probably taking notes yeah, while absolutely. you're watching a game. Yeah. Because I know I am. Mm-hmm. Because an idea might spark from something you see yep. or something you hear. And now you've got to be able to tackle that the next day that you're at an event or the next time that you're covering a game. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I love listening to Lynn and JD on the broadcast for the Cubs. And you never know what JD brings up with a pitcher. I want to follow up and ask the next day about that. Or I want to go talk to the pitching coach about that. Or I see a guy, you know, in the outfield and I know he's been working with Will Venable or something like that. And I see it, uh, you know, transition from what's been something they've worked on to now actually showing up in a game and I want to ask about that or, you know, little things, guys are tweaking things at the plate all the time in baseball. So you want to ask about that or guy gets injured. You want to know the play. You want to know how it happened. You want to see it from every angle because, and, and for me, I find a post game interviews of any sort in any 
sport fascinating. I like to watch other men and women do what I do just to see, you know, how did they how did they ask this tough question or how did they transition into getting the most out of him on something that seems like all you would ask is, Oh, how are you feeling? But sometimes that can be the question you don't want to go to because it seems so like, Oh, that's the obvious question, but how can you get a guy's emotions by asking it in a different way? And so I love watching some of the people who are so great at that in our jobs. And there are some, who do you love? Like who was, who was growing up? Like, who did you say I want to be? And who do you like to watch now because their style fits your style? Well, I think that, uh, you know, with NBC, I think watching Michelle Tafoya, I think she always does a fantastic job. Um, You know, you look at any of the number ones across the board and typically the way they have a a way of... Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Asking the question is just concise and thorough and it's always a question that's something else I always very much appreciate and it's not a talk about moment or um why does that frustrate you because it frustrates me it does frustrate me because well this sounds bad but it's a cop-out it's not a question necessarily now I think you have a way to work it into something from time to time. Um, but I think there's always a better way of asking it. Maybe like, could you explain this or um, take us through? Cause then you're asking someone to actually do something. You're instructing them where to go with it. Right. Especially an athlete who it's not their job to read your mind and give you their best stuff. Like really you should give them a direction. And I've watched certain athletes on certain beats who are intelligent guys turn around to someone who says, talk about, or gives them a yes or no question and they'll pause and they'll say, that wasn't a question or they'll say yes, no. And then they'll just pause and keep looking at you. And that's because, you know, who just did it the other day? Someone just did it. Sale, Sale did it. That's right. He did it before uh, the the ALCS started. That's right. Where and I've seen that before. And Chris, I remember talk about and he said I don't want to. Right. Correct. Right. But that could have been a great answer because what the I, I forget who the reporter was. I know it's a guy that's really great at his job. I just can't remember. But at the time, it, I hate to use this because there are some great journalists who at times we all fall back on this phrase. There's no doubt about it. But it's it, it can be lazy. Am I right? What do you think? It's exactly how I feel. I talk to my students about this, and I think that it's different. For example, you and I right now, if I asked you a close-ended question, mm-hmm. we're having a conversation. Absolutely. It could work. Absolutely. But when you're talking about whether you're in a press conference or you're doing an on-field or you're doing a one-on-one interview with an athlete – who maybe doesn't have that type of rapport with you, it's more difficult. So I seem kind of mean in class when we get to the portion about interviewing and my students will ask me yes or no questions. I will literally write yes or no 
on the board and tell them to rephrase. Mm -hmm. And they're getting it. Using what, how, and why to ask questions, it's pretty easy once you get used to doing it. But now there's a generation of of reporter Mm -hmm. that has now seen a bunch of the talk about or can you talk about, tell us about, and they think that that's the way that you ask questions. And I, I don't. And maybe that's the old schoolness in me, but I, I'm with you on that. I mm-hmm. think it's, it's, it's a lazy way to ask a question, and I get it. It can be intimidating. A, a lot of times, maybe if you're not on a beat every day, you're trying to not look like you don't know what you're talking about. But I, I think that it's more respectful to ask a question versus the talk about or tell me about. I agree. I agree. Um, I think you can leave an athlete who maybe hasn't done it a lot uh, kind of in this. I don't really know where you want me to go with it, man. What, what do you what do you want me to talk about? I mean, whereas if you if you give them a direction or a direct question and I'm glad that I'm glad to hear that you're teaching it. I mean, that's how I was taught. And I was some of the. <laughs> most difficult demanding professors now I look back and think thank god they taught it that way right like I'll I'll never forget um Professor Greeley uh who was like broadcast it was our third class so my junior year essentially he would shut the doors for an 8 a.m class at 7 58 shut it and lock they locked behind him okay 8 a.m classes Monday Wednesday Friday for anyone who's gone through college you know how it can be those 8 a.m.ers. So I really, I mean, I got, and after he closed the door, there was always a quick five question quiz. And it was always like stuff about what was going on in the news or sports the night before. I mean, we were just supposed to be knowledgeable of having already read the paper or watched the news that morning. That was the point of these quick quizzes every morning. But I was always like, why does he do that? And his point to it was for television and really any job, If you're not five minutes early, you're late. If you're late, don't show up at all. That was his point. And I really didn't get it until I missed my slot for the first time ever in television years down the road, right? And I got chewed out by my news director. Now, I felt like I had a really good reason for why I missed slot, but the point was still the same. Like, you can't show up to your sportscast that starts at 617 at 618, You've missed a minute of the two minutes and 30 seconds you get. So, you know, at the time I hated that lesson because I can't tell you how many times I got locked out of that class, but it was a lot. Um, but it, uh, but I, I understood later down the road and, and same with what you're saying. So like these questions and um, I've had certain players look at me and say, you know, Thank you for asking in this way. But you're right. There are different time frames because if you're just having a casual conversation with a player at his locker, it's okay to say, so what do you, you know, and maybe you're not asking a what, a why, or a how, or yes or no, did, you know, did you actually feel this or not? You know, that's fine. Those conversations I get. But when you're on the field and you get three questions with a guy and those three questions are all that the viewer gets to hear from him after this thrilling game, you want them to be good. You want them to be worth it. I, that, to me, is my my moment to shine right there, is the, that final interview on the field. And even when you're getting water thrown at you, Gatorade dumped on you, you pull it together, you laugh, you have a good time with it, but it is still your job to, in that moment, pull yourself together and as poised as you can, 
deliver three good questions. You f- you are famous now in Chicago <laughs> for dealing with people trying to dump water on scare you and, and Gatorade scare you. In the, sunflower man, seeds. Javi was about to get 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 a right Javi hand. Had, I got it out for him this year. He was. Uh, I swear when he just uh, that. I put that picture up on Insta, that video up on Instagram, and I, I saw that thing. I saw that Kelly Kroll competitive thing come out because you were getting ready to. <laughs> well, at first, I didn't know it was him, right? So, like, at first, you just. I don't know about you, but I get scared easily when someone just, like, the quick scream or the unexpected sound noise, whatever it is, that, that really startles me. And especially when I'm locked in at that moment, I'm, like, thinking through what I want to say and getting ready to say it. And then, yeah, he he thought that was his moment with the red light on to make his viral video, and he did. Those Boy. guys seem to know. I They seem very savvy about mm-hmm. where the cameras are and, and what's going on. But I, I want to... I want to give you some kudos. I know that we've talked about this before, but I thought that your handling of Bill Murray in the Cubs <laughs> locker room after the World Series was exemplary. And and I'm 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 in no position to be proud of you, but <laughs> I was. Like I was watching that live and I was just sitting there going, Kelly's trying to do her job. Like she's not she's not here trying to sip champagne. Mm-hmm. She's here covering what it, what is the biggest sports story in Chicago history and there's no time for the play play. <laughs> and I thought that you navigated it well. What were you trained to do and what was going through your mind as one of the biggest stars in the world and one of the biggest Cubs fans in the world is trying to bring you into the celebration as you're trying to cover the celebration. Yeah, my eyes are getting really big as you ask me this because really there is no training. No one can train you for that. You can't read anything in a journalism book that's going to tell you, hey, when some Hollywood superstar asks you to ship sip champagne after the Cubs win their first World Series in 108 years, here is what you say back to them. Nothing's going to train you for that moment. Um, but I think... I was so invested in that year and there is a a definite understanding of this is their moment. It's always the athlete's moment and you are supposed to capture that for everybody else who doesn't get to be there in the clubhouse in that moment. So while it was a bit startling, I guess is is a way you could put it with with Bill Murray. And I know he was just trying to have some fun. I also thought to myself, okay, how do I have a good laugh here and play it off in a playful manner where he understands that, uh, hey, this is going to be a long ride. It's going to be a long weekend. You know, I'll pop champagne later. For now, I got to go back to work. And I kept thinking, he'll understand. Uh, I'll catch up with Bill later. Um, but for now, I got to get back to, to these players and these interviews. And so that's really all I could think of in that moment was just have a good time, get what you can and and move on to the next one, because th- this is never going to I mean, this is uh, this second, this moment of it being a first, like Theo always says, isn't going to happen again. And you got it. You got to make that for the fans at home be the best moment of their lives. So that's how. I mean, I, I don't feel like I have a great answer for that. But I, thank you. Uh, because I didn't know what to say. I didn't. And he caught me completely off guard and, and really embarrassed me in a way. I mean, the fact that he 
he knew who I was, but not really by name. He knew me as the girl who always dressed up on camera. That's one of those, eh, is that a compliment or not? Okay, I'll just not worry about it. Go on to the next question. And then it became an awkward way of, well, she's prettier than you and you and you. And then I thought, okay. So now he's pointed me out twice. And then the third time around, it was, here, have some champagne. Have some champagne. And all I could think was, I'm pacing myself. You know, I, all I could think of is come up with a witty response in this moment and then and have a good laugh with Bill later. I was I remember being at home and being angry for you. <laughs> but I also was like, man, this is a great lesson right here because stuff like that happens mm-hmm. and you have to soldier on a little bit with how you're going to to cuz you're still on camera. Oh yeah. It, it's it's still live. It's being broadcast to the world. It could have very easily been you turning into a meme. And and you were able to guard against that. I also like the way that you handle what goes on on the field. And I like the the guys on the Cubs have a lot of fun with you, but I also think they really respect you. I I absolutely. I know that there have been people who I think that that is disrespectful that they do that from time to time. Very few times have they come directly like towards me as though, I mean, most of the time I just happen to be in the angle of which I just can't move out of the way quick enough for something. And so the player who is meant for the Gatorade bath, I just happen to catch some remnants here and there, you know, Um, I, I do believe, and I'm well, wholeheartedly know that those guys respect me. Um, you know, there's something to the end of an interview. You know this, anyone who thanks you and uses your first name, and that's pretty much every guy on that field after I talk to him, thanks Kelly, um, and they make eye contact. I mean, those are your signs of some, somebody who respects the job that you do. And I will say something that the Cubs don't do that um, a lot of other teams will have a PR person down there that will grab a player take them over to the person that's being interviewed or, you know, that's going to do the interview. The Cubs just ask me to go up to the guys. There's no way guys are going to keep coming to you if they don't want to do an interview. Right. I mean, so I take a lot of pride in the fact that those guys look at me they look for me to make sure, you know, is it my turn? Is it my turn? You know? um, And even in the playoffs, when the national people roll into town as well, usually the guys will, defer to me first and then head over if if it's not me that's getting them they'll head over to whomever might be working for ESPN or someone like that so um yeah I know that the guys like to have fun it's because that's the group of guys that they are they're just a fun loving you know joking type of group Mm -hmm. they pick on one another all the time and I think sometimes they think uh that it's okay to pick on me (laughs) and I'm okay with it because honestly, I laugh about it. I'm a good sport. Like I said, I don't take anything too seriously. Um, that, that job is not, I'm not performing brain surgery. I'm getting to hang out and talk about baseball with some really great athletes who, um, have a fun time. And Javi's one of those guys that sets the tone, right? When it comes to having fun, um, he's the guy that they all kind of watch and enjoy. So that's, it's always a good time with those guys. You've brought up faith a couple of times. How do you go about in a world that, and especially in a media world that's kind of become a little bit more secular, mm-hmm. how do you keep that part of yourself? Because it's not like you're hide, like you're not hiding your faith. I know that you're you're a person of faith. Mm-hmm. H- how do you go about 
sharing that with other people, talking about it with other people, and staying true to who you are? Yeah, that's a really great question, and and it's something that I explore and pray about all the time, truthfully, because maybe I'm not doing it enough. Um, maybe I'm not being vocal enough, or maybe I'm not sharing it enough. But um, I think that there's everybody walks that journey with the Lord differently. And for me, I think that it's important that people know that it it is something that is my guiding source and everything that I do. But I, I know that here's what's interesting. So in Oklahoma City, when I was there for four years, that's an area of the country that you know, we're often referred to as the Bible Belt, and people there talk about their faith more openly. So when I was there, um, I felt so encouraged because everywhere we went, whether it was in the workplace, whether it was um, at church, whether it was just at dinner, um, people just ask you, oh, what was, you know, what was the message this week? Or, oh, I'm trying to do this. Um, I'm in this chapter of my life right now, or I'm praying for this. Will you please pray for this? I don't know. It's just part of your everyday conversation to talk about the Lord. And in different parts of the country, though, that's not the case. And here in Chicago, I wouldn't say that whether it's the workforce or um, just day to day running to the grocery store, you don't really hear people bring that up or talk about it um, as much. But I still have the people in my life that I talk to frequently and um, whether it's my parents, whether it's my brother, whether it is my friends that I go to church with, which I have a couple here that I do go to church with. Um, um, and then I am a part of the community uh, at my church that I do Bible studies with. And so I have my moments, right? Um, and that sounds bad because it's not that I'm not praying every night or anything like that, but I've I've realized that on social media here and there, when I have done certain things, you can really rub people wrong because they feel that's not your place to be expressing your feelings about religion on them. And I thought to myself, you know, uh, that's fine because faith is a private thing anyway. And so I can share this with the people who want to talk to me about it. So I've, I've been a little reluctant, I think, to do it on social media. Um, and that I, I wonder sometimes I'm like, I even ask, I said, you know, Lord, are you okay with this? I mean, do I need to be better? Do I need to be a better Christian? Uh, do I need to walk stronger in my faith for other people? Or am I, am I doing this? Okay. You know, I question all the time. Um, I really do. I, I don't know. I know you are, how do you handle it? I'm, I'm curious now. Did, do you struggle with this? I, at all? I struggle. One of the great things about the podcast is I've been able to talk to a couple people here and there about faith. And, you know, I grew up in the Catholic church Mm-hmm. Same. And I, and I have I have issues. <laughs> I have a sure. lot of issues with the Catholic Church. And I struggle. I struggle with talking I I actually do really like talking with people mm-hmm. about their faith. I I find it fascinating cuz you get a cross section. Uh and Chicago's kind of interesting cuz it, it is very Catholic and you can talk to people and say that's one of the ways that you have conversations. Where did you grow up? It's very much like New Orleans where in New Orleans, you talk parishes as counties, but here you talk parishes as parishes. Mm-hmm. You say, well, I, I grew up in St. Thaddeus Parish, yeah. or I grew up in St. Sabina, or or wherever. Absolutely. But but I always enjoy talking to people about it because I think it's another way to connect with people. 
And I think it can be a a a deeper connection depending mm-hmm. on who wants to talk about it, who's willing to give. But I know that there are people who are, are more pious than I that do struggle with sharing what they believe because they don't want to step on the toes mm-hmm. of other people. And I think that there, I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. I think if you're trying to um, build communities, then you're, you're going to have to build communities with people that may not believe what you believe. So how do you go about yeah. doing that? And you try not to, you try not to be overbearing with your beliefs as if to say, well, you're wrong because you don't believe what I believe Mm -hmm. it's a it's a very religion has become a very interesting thing to try to navigate for all of us faith is a very difficult thing to navigate yeah and for me uh you know he's my strength um my rock and that's why uh, he remains at the center of my life and I try to acknowledge that in what I feel like is the most appropriate ways. And that can be challenging, but to veer off a little bit from faith, one of the things that I think, and it's interesting because I I find myself asking athletes all the time and I find myself asking other people in our industry and, and just in general friends of mine, if you're still growing in whatever it is that you're doing, growing in your faith, growing in your job, what is the next step for you? What what takes you to the next level? Anything. Like for you, what takes you to your next level in television, in your radio show, in your podcasts? What 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 takes you to that next level? And I when I try to reflect and ask myself that question for television purposes, finding my voice. Mm. Is my next level. Um, I worked with a female at NBC Sports Chicago, um, Jen Latta, who pr- probably a lot of people knew uh, and still know. Um, she's now at ESPN. She is someone that I've always kind of watched how she has a very strong voice, a strong opinion about things. Sometimes that can be taken the wrong way, and she'll be the first to tell you that. Sometimes she rubs people wrong with that. But I w- am so, I so admire her her ability to stay confident in herself, even when she takes an opinion that numerous people maybe don't like and let her know that they don't like it. That's still hard for me. Um, I like to give you facts. I like to tell you things that I know about players because I know it for a fact. I like to tell you stories that I think are funny or enjoyable. But if you ask me to take about an opinion about something and I get massive rebuttal from people, that's a place where I've I'm still uncomfortable hmm. and I want to be able to find my voice. So, and I think that way with religion, I want to be able to find my voice in a productive way. But again, like you said, that's not stepping on people's toes, but is more prevalent than where I am right now with it. Okay. So sharing the best parts of yourself through faith with other people, I, I think that's an admirable goal. Right? I really do. I think it's important that we all find our voice. It's crazy. I'm sitting up here. I don't want to give my age, but it's something that I think helps you grow as a person, right? To um, I can always listen to people tell me how to get better at things. I feel like I've always been good at that. I think that's part of an athlete, right? You got to be coachable. Mm. I, I still think I'm coachable You're even in coachable. television. Um, but I want to I wanna find strength in, uh, yeah, 
I think believing in, in myself more when it comes to certain aspects of my job or my personal life or my religion. Is there a dream job for you? And I know you have it right now. I know you're covering the Bulls, you're covering the Cubs, you're in Chicago. But is there anything from a career standpoint that you haven't done that you'd like to do? Because at this point, you have you have on your resume, mm-hmm. I covered the Cubs winning the World Series. Right. So, so what, it's almost like what else is left after you right? do that? Like what else is left for you? Covering the Cubs in the World Series, the Thunder in the NBA Finals. They didn't win it, but I, you know, still got to be a part of that run. Um, I mean, there's always the desire, I think, for anybody to reach the top of the mountain of your industry, which would probably be national. Um, I've done segments nationally, so, you know, I, I see that. I think it's very attainable. I just don't know if I'm ready to move out to like a Bristol, Connecticut or something at this point in my life, it would have to just be the right situation. But I have found myself as I do get further along in this industry, wanting to give back more, give back more with what I've learned, what I've been able to take away. Um, And I think to myself, maybe down the road, I'll have to talk to you about it. Education and teaching some of the things, taking some of the experiences I've had and being able, like we were to have that long conversation about asking questions. And I have so many stories to go along with that, with players that, you know, good experiences, bad experiences, all of the above. Um, And I have recently gone back to Mizzou just for a tennis alumni event of all things, but there were four broadcast majors on the tennis team, which I was so proud of because when I was there, it was not a great thing. Journalism is very demanding at Mizzou. The coach didn't think you'd have enough time to be able to do both. And, um, and I love being able to talk to them and they just, the way that they listen and just absorb everything you're saying. I really, I really enjoy that. So is there a dream job out there? Gosh, I don't know. Cause you're right. I'm pretty close to it right here. I don't know that there's anything better than what I'm doing. I have a fancy, as you well know, for country music. You do? So if there were a way to rip in sports and country music, maybe live in Nashville for a bit, <laughs> that would be kind of cool. <laughs> can we make that work? I think that Athletes, we, Nashville, yeah. I think that we can make something work. I mean, honestly, now that I think about it, we should just have you do some stuff with US 99. There you go. I like that thought. Yeah. Yeah. So get you out there at Lake Shake and just do it. I love Lake Shake. <laughs> <laughs> Country music. Yeah. Warm weather. That would be the only thing. If we could make September be as cold as it gets in Chicago, I'd be down. Yeah. Can it, we? Can that be part of like a job n- description? I can't. Dream I job in a city here you, where the weather changes. It. You had it. You were in San Diego. <laughs> you had it. But you can't get excited about a 60-win team. It's That's hard. True. Uh, That's very, but very yes, true. It doesn't get any better than right. San Diego. Last thing I have for you. Oh, boy. And you been... never answer my question, though. Okay, go What ahead. takes you to the next level in what you do? Honestly, I've been thinking about this for a long time because when I was younger— I always thought, like, when I was in college and I knew that I wanted to do this because I was stuck between a couple different things. I thought I would go to the Navy Mm -hmm. and have them pay for me to go to law school and become a judge advocate general. Wow. That was on my mind. Mm -hmm. I thought I would go into a classroom, which eventually I found my way 
back into a classroom seven, eight years ago now, which I actually really, really love. Mm -hmm. And I thought I'd be a sports center anchor by the time I was 27. That was the goal. And then I've always loved radio. I think it's a, a really intimate medium, and I, I love it. Like, I, I love having the one-way conversation with the listener, talking to them about what they think is important. I found that I really love interviewing, and I think I'm pretty good at it. Great at it. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really enjoy doing that. So the for me, starting the podcast was a big deal because I kind of mm-hmm. sat there for a while going, do I want to do this? Like, do I want to add another thing? Do I want to... Do I want to make myself busier than I already am? Do I want to take a risk? Because I'm usually a risk aversion type dude. Like I'm, I'm usually like, okay, this is this fits into what I do. Like I'm, I'm not really one to kind of jump out there and do things. And now I remember the first episode I did with Jason Benetti, mm-hmm. and when I put it up, because it didn't take me long to figure out how to put it up, and there have been some audio snafus here and there uh, in the first few episodes as I got my chops back. But I remember seeing people download the first episode. And at first I was like, man, if 50 people downloaded this episode, then that was a success. And then that first day, I think 500 people downloaded the episode. And I was like, what? That's a thing? (laughs) So some of this is greed, like some of it, and I don't mean greed of money. It is greed, greed of impact. And I like that I have a loyal following Mm -hmm. on social media that people who have followed me forever on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or the score or NBC sports Chicago. And before that channel five, they're interested in what I have to say. And so it kind of fuels me Mm -hmm. to bring in really cool people and smart people and talk to them. I do it honestly, like it's it's making me into a crazy person a little bit. Like it's it's, I mean, you've always kind of been a crazy person. That's true. It just feeds that in you. That's true. It (laughs) it it definitely it drives me. Absolutely. And and I think that that's the the next thing that I would want to do with this is some sort of video element sure. to it. That would be awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. But not. But then I have to, like, figure out how I'm going to do that, and I'll get the GoPros, and I, I want to have a consistent studio. So now I'm like, do I build a studio? Like, all of this wow. stuff is now, like, yeah. like kind of going through my head. You're but, tinkering with all these ideas. But being able to give people something that they don't already have mm-hmm. kind of drives me. And, like, that's the... The next thing. And I don't, I'm really afraid of failure, but I'm not afraid to fail, if that makes any sense. It does. Yeah, absolutely. So it drives me. I can. So I should just put you on the list of people. If I do the reverse episode where I get interviewed, I can now put you on the the short list of people since you just had me bear my soul a little while ago. But that's what this is all about. People get to hear you asking the questions all the time. And I think it's only fair that it, The tables are turned from time to time. I mean, that's a question, though, that I honestly have found generates 
incredible conversations. Like any of you who are listening to this, if you if you've gotten to this point and you're still listening, thank you uh, to me. And yeah, uh, me and you ramble here. No, I ask someone that though that. It's your friend that's your coworker. The next time you see them, whatever it may be, whether it's in their own work life, whether it's in their walk of faith, um, what takes them to the next level of where they want to be? I mean, that's probably like a self-improvement, right? And I, I should read more books than I do, but that's probably like a number one, like, here's what you should do on self-reflecting. Where is it that gets you to be at the next level and a better person in any or a better worker, better husband, better wife, better sister, better mother, you know, all of that. So I've just found that question to be one that I really have enjoyed asking people um, to generate really awesome conversation. I feel like the last question I was going to ask you kind of weak in comparison to that question. No, please do. All right. You brought it up when we were talking before we started recording about, about how you listened to the Adam Hogue episode. I did. Yeah. And, and you were like, I got a broke story <laughs> for you. So I want to hear about you being broke when you started out. And how broke were you? Well, I just don't know. <laughs> I just don't know where to start. <laughs> I mean, I think it's because I think of you and, and this these wide-eyed journalism students that think they're going to you know, get into this field and make millions of dollars. And I always kind of start off by saying, and, and, and this I understand because I work with, you know, like Cap and Pat Boyle and guys who've told me, oh, that was double what I made in my first job. But, you know, <laughs> you get out of college with nothing to your name. I will say this to, to my parents' credit and having the scholarship, I did not have debt, which is, I mean, already That's ahead huge. of the game for a lot of people. Huge. So I understand that. Not to mention all the money they put aside for sending me to college, they were able to put towards buying me a car, which was huge because I wasn't expecting that. So I didn't have car payments. So I guess I'm already ahead of the game here. This, this doesn't sound like a very good story, but I will say $17,000 is what I signed for in my first job. Ooh. And then it went to what eight, city? 18, five year two. And that was in West Lafayette, Indiana. And that is for many, as you know, where Purdue University is as a sports gig. It was great because there's a D1 school in your backyard. But $600 a month was my apartment rent. And I struggled to make rent because at 17000 I don't know. I can't remember. I feel like my paychecks were like in the $500 range. So I... <laughs> For two weeks. And you know how that goes. Two weeks. But I was putting in hundreds of hours. hours yes. Hundreds. There's no 40-hour week when you're starting out in market 300 or whatever West Lafayette, Indiana was. But um, so honestly, little things like, and I know these are girly things, but makeup's expensive. And trying to buy makeup, trying to buy clothes. I was going to Kohl's. Not that there's anything wrong with Kohl's, but trying to put yourself in a professional-looking outfit day in and day out for television is hard to do. I was, my mom was sending me coupons to Kohl's. Shout out to mom for that. Express, right? Or wherever it was that I went. I can't even remember, but yeah, I, and I was not, um, I was not too good for hand-me-down suits from people that I knew, um, in the industry or jackets for that matter. Um, but yeah, I, so at least I didn't have a car payment, but I can remember, um, couponing to go to the grocery store, 
to go buy clothes. It was so, looking back on it, I just think to myself, gosh. And those are the little things, though. When you want it, you don't think twice about it, right? I mean, that was that was hard to get through those years, and it didn't get a whole lot better. Okay, so that's a year and a half. I finally jumped to my next market, which is Oklahoma City, and that's like market 45-ish, I want to say. And my my salary doubled and Ooh, I thought, big time. that's right, $30,000. Big time. And I thought I had it made. And so I could then afford, I think it was a an $800 apartment in Oklahoma City. I guess I could have looked into the roommate thing now looking back on it, but I didn't figure anyone wanted to live with someone who was, you know, <laughs> in and out at all kinds of weird hours. And so, oh, Lawrence, it was brutal. It was so bad. I couldn't afford the carport that goes with it, right? So my car in Oklahoma City sat outside of the carport, which for those that don't know, tornado season, not so good on the car. So that poor car that my parents paid off, well, it was ruined by hail numerous times. And, uh, yeah, so it just... So you're driving around Oklahoma City in a dented car? I did, yeah. I was one of those people for a while. (laughs) I mean, it's no wonder, right? No wonder. Couldn't get a date for years. And then finally, so so it was, I will say it was probably four years, right? Four years. And keep in mind, all of these jobs I'm shooting as well, those massive cameras on my shoulder. I'm a one-man band. That's what you did. Um, so I'm shooting. Um, the, editing. Those, the, shooting, editing, producing, and then going out and anchoring my own shows, you know. So, and then finally, four years in, three or four years in, I, I caught my break, which is kind of how it happens. I feel like for all of us at some point, somebody gives us a shot. And I caught my break with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And that's when things turned around and I could get my car fixed. And, um, but I'll tell you what, that, that is like also this, oh my gosh moment, because then all of a sudden you're thrown into this environment with athletes who are making millions and millions of dollars. And part of you feels like you want to fit in, but there was no part of my salary that was fitting in with millions and millions of dollars. So Louis Vuitton was still far, far out of my reach. I'll have, you know, far, far out of reach. <laughs> for sure. Is. This was delightful as I expected. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. And I, and I'm so grateful for our friendship and to have a mentor and someone I can lean on who goes through the ups and downs of this journey in our industry as well. You are the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. So we found out a lot about Kelly, and she found out a lot about me. So good job by her doing the digging there and being a great reporter. And, yes, put her on the list of potentials for the reverse episode if I ever do a reverse episode. She's on the list. That was a lot of fun. I hope you dug it because I dug it. I dug hanging out and talking and We had a really, really good time. So thanks to Kelly for being on the show. And as a guest on the show, she gets a gift card to Melly Cafe with three locations in Chicagoland. Go check them out on social at Melly Cafe Chicago, whether that's on Twitter or on Instagram. And I'll even throw in the guys that that advertise with us on our Bears podcast, the Chicago Wolves. Congratulations to them on a great weekend this past weekend to start things off. They got free parking this year. Thanks to Kia. And I'm really happy that they're on board. Bunch of good guys that work over at the Wolves. 
So I'm appreciative that they're a part of the podcast as well. Now it's time for emails. You send me emails about future guests and things that happened on the podcast before. This one is from Mark, who says, Lawrence, I want to say I'm a big fan. Your podcast with golf still one of the all-time best. You're always a true professional and always do great work. Any chance of you getting Pat Hughes on the podcast? I would love to hear basketball stories and just how hard it is to get where he is today. I've talked about this before on the pod. I appreciate that, Mark. Thank you for, for reaching out. We had had a, a, a date scheduled with Pat to talk with him after a game, which I thought was insane that, that instead of before a game, he said, no, 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 come after the game. We'll sit here at Wrigley Field and we'll talk. But the night that we had it scheduled was the night that the Cubs had that really late game that it was raining and then the power went out, so they ended up canceling the game. So I had to be on air. So I couldn't go out to Wrigley Field and, and talk with him. I'm hoping that in the offseason I can get him at least on the phone to do the podcast. And I kind of only allow that for a couple of people. So I, I might do that with, with Pat. But, yes, he is a fascinating guy. And I would love to talk hoops with him because he loves buckets. Anyone who's hung out with him or played with him will tell you that that's the truth. This is from Ben who says, Hello again. Your podcast is awesome and something I look forward to every week. Have you thought about interviewing NBC Sports Chicago's Tony Andracchi on your podcast? I work with his cousin. She was telling me some of what he does for NBC Sports and the Cubs, and I thought he might make an interesting perspective on Chicago sports media. Keep up the great work. That's Ben. If you listen to this episode, then you heard Tony get referenced because he does the Cubs podcast with Kelly Kroll. And I, I like his work quite a bit. I think Tony's a really sharp guy. And I see the way when I go out to go cover Cubs, he's one of those guys where you can tell he hustles. You know, he, he's working. He's out there trying to find angles. He's working contacts. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of his work. I would not be surprised if he gets an invite. I appreciate the suggestion. And let's see, one more. Let's see. Let's do this one from Tony. Hey, Lawrence, I remember you and Jonathan Hood having your wrestling show, WrestleManiacs, back in the day on The Score. Back when I loved wrestling, I was a big fan of it and your commentary for MCW with Brian Zinner. I'm a Packers fan from Illinois, but I follow the Bears since they are in the same division. Just wanted to say hey, and I enjoy your work on the podcast, The Score, and Chicago, NBC Sports Chicago. Even as a Packer fan, I appreciate your work, sense of humor, and the fun you guys have with being mean-spirited. <laughs> Keep up the good work. That's Tony. Yeah, the dynamic with the crew, with the Bears crew on Sundays is pretty great. And I love it because at this point, like, I'm I'm part of that team, even though I'm not part of the team that those guys played on. So the amount of trash that we talk to each other is epic. And it's honestly why I love what we're doing with the sidecast. In the third quarter on the NBC Sports Chicago Facebook page, you can actually watch watch us watching the game. It's fun. And now Lance has figured out <laughs> Lance has figured out that people send in comments while we're doing it. And he's like, "Can I have the iPad?" So from now on, we've decided that Lance is going to have the iPad. So trust me, you'll want to to link up with us and watch that sidecast because it is, it is top-notch stuff.
No doubt about it. But thanks for that. And thanks for the MCW. Man, it's been a minute. Man, that must have been 2000 when Jonathan and I were doing some of that. It was a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie. Doing some independent wrestling was was very cool. Get to follow in the footsteps of a Terry Boars that way. And that's never a bad thing. Unless you're playing softball with Dante Bichette, which apparently Terry is now. I feel like that's a good note to end this episode. Thanks for listening. If you've got an email that you want to send our way, houseoflpodcast at gmail.com is the way that you can do it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Kelly is tremendous. Reach out to her on social and and tell her because this was a lot of fun and it was heartfelt and very genuine. And I love those type of sit downs when people give of themselves. So I'm out. I'll have Bears coverage of their game against the Patriots right here on the pod. Have a great rest of your week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.